Welcome to the Chief Endurance Officer Podcast. I'm your host, Greg McDonough. Each week, we hear real-time stories from athletes and CEOs on how to maximize performance through an endurance mindset. Let's get started. Welcome to the Chief Endurance Officer Podcast. I'm your host, Greg McDonough. I am super excited about our guest today. He's got a wealth of experience, a strategic mindset brings to the table. He's honed his skills as a visionary leader, always staying ahead of the curve, an avid Ironman competitor, and inspired cyclist. The CEO of IT Voice, Will Slapley. Welcome, Will. Hey, thanks for having me, Greg. It's great to connect with you. I So on our show, we love talking about the endurance mindset. My favorite question is, Will, tell me about how your endurance mindset has impacted your life unexpectedly. Yeah, you know, um, I think the first time that I kind of like got in, like understood kind of the endurance mindset was when I was in high school and um, I was uh, on a on a debate team and um, I'm a decent speaker, but I'm I'm not the most elegant. Um, and there was a lot of, you know, other competitors that were far more elegant in speaking than I was. Um, but what I figured out was I could out prep them. If I spent more time studying the material, um, and then when I got through to speak, like I knew more about than they did because I had spent more time with it. And I could, even though I wasn't as elegant or smooth and, you know, all those maybe as convincing or whatnot, I could overcome that with preparation. So that was really my first sort of, you know, like kind of light bulb in my head, like, hey, you know what? I can work really hard at something to be able to achieve it, even if I don't have all of the natural talents maybe that somebody else has. So that was kind of my, my first introduction to it. And so then I've taken that through, you know, out my life since then. It's like, hey, you know, um, I can outwork uh, somebody. I can outwork myself um, to be able to achieve whatever goal I have in front of me. Certainly, I can, I can definitely relate to that. Let's go a little bit deeper and talk about, how, give us two examples. One, in your endurance lobbies and passions and then also in your business how have you applied that mindset in each of those and even in your family if you've got a third story yeah you know um one of the uh kind of questions i think it comes from the uh, good to great book um that they asked is like you know ask a marathon winner after they've won which step did you take that made the biggest difference of winning the marathon you know they're gonna look at you like you're an idiot right because they're like no i I took 30,000 steps, you know, to finish the marathon. There wasn't, there wasn't, you know, maybe the last one across the finish line. I mean, it was just the last step, right? Um, and so, you know, I, I found that like in business, um, a lot of what I do is I come up with a, what I call rhythms of things. Um, and so some of those are meetings. We have monthly meetings where like, you know, we review different parts of the business with the team that's focused in, you know, on that. Um, I have rhythms in terms of connection with employees, you know, like every, every Tuesday, um, or I'm sorry, every Monday and, and Thursday, I send out birthday and anniversary cards, like all of our employees, um, and just a little $50, you know, Amazon gift card or whatnot, you know, and it's just piles on top. You know, we have monthly lunches to connect with employees. Um, you know, I've got different focus times that I have set aside on a weekly basis. You know, we have, uh, our council meeting for the exec team, you know, on a quarterly basis where we're looking backwards and saying, hey, well, how did we do looking forward? What do we want to accomplish the, you know, the next 90 days? But all of those, you know, I could go on and on all these different rhythms that I've built. Um, and those rhythms help me, like the marathon runner, take that one step every day. I'm taking a step after another, after another. And all of a sudden you look back and you're like, you can't even see where you, you know, where you started. 
Um, and so that's, you know, that, that's how I've kind of taken that endurance mindset, you know, if you will. Um, and also I think, you know, cause a lot of people will talk about like work-life balance, the rhythms have helped me a lot in, in that, you know, as well. Um, cause I've got, you know, different things. Like I mentioned to you, um, you know, I always take off every one, my, my wife and my three kids, I take their birthday off as a PTO day every single year. And like me and my wife are going to, we got a fun trip that I was telling you about earlier, you know, I'm doing the same thing, you know, with my kids, like that is a rhythm that I have that keeps me balanced and connecting, you know, with those people who, you know, are important, uh, important to me. Most people have the holidays, you know, but it's like, what are other things, you know, that, uh, that you can, uh, can attach, um, you know, to it. I, I don't know if you want me to talk about like all the stuff I do with my kids with like financial, uh, stuff, teaching them about money and how to do all that kind of stuff. But there's a lot of things like that. Um, that I, that I do to teach, you know, teach them, um, you know, the, uh, the endurance. Um, and I do think that when you get into the, there's a, there's a, there's also, I guess the other element that you see a little bit in sports, um, but, but not as much as you see it in, in other areas of life, which is a compounding effect. You know, um, I, like I learned this in, in college where I was like, you know what, if I work hard at the beginning of the semester, and I learned the material, all the material builds on itself. So by the time you get to the end, like it gets easier. If you wait to learn it till later, you still have to learn it. Plus you got bad grades early. And then now you're trying to like play catch up. And the same thing is in life. The sooner that you can do something and learn something and master something, it, it begins to pay dividends down the road. Obviously with investing money, you can see the same, um, you know, sort of thing. I think even in business, investing in the culture, you know, that's why I do like all the things I do from culture wise. It is investing in those people because you're going to hit snags on the road and bumps, you know, and then you, do you have that, um, you know, uh, that foundation to help catch you, that safety net to help, you know, catch you. So uh, there's a lot of different things. There's a little bit like when I did the Ironman, um, one, I love biking, so I'm probably a little bit biased, but the biking has the highest leverage of the three sports. And so because of that, I spent more time prepping for the bike because I could get more distance and more time per wattage of energy that I exerted than I could on the swim or the run. So pretty much like my philosophy was like, don't get disqualified on the swim because if that happens, well, you know, the day's shot. So that's not good. Um, and then just hammer it and kill it on the bike. And then, um, and then I'll have so much time that like I could crawl the run and still be able to finish, you know? Um, so, and, and I ended up doing intervals on the run because I couldn't run the whole thing. So you know, do a walk run, walk run, you know, to finish it. So, um, I beat my coach's time on the, on the bike, but my, my run time was actually longer than my, uh, my bike time. So if that says anything about. Yeah, that says a lot. Um, man, there's so much to unpack in there. Let's switch back into the rhythms. Um, some great examples there. And I do want to talk about your kids' financial planning and the tools and, and the things that you're doing. Um, but when did the, when did you discover routine and rhythm and how it could be beneficial for you in your life? You know, I think I learned a lot of that probably growing up. Um, uh, one, one particular thing that does come to mind was when I was in college, um, I, I kind of loved checklists or whatever. And so when I was, you know, my first semester and sitting there with the advisor figuring out what classes to take, I was like, oh, if I take all these classes, I can like, check off these whole chunks, you know? So it's like, okay, this will feel, you know, feel good. So I ended up signing up for 21 hours my first semester in college. Um, wow. And it ended up being six classes and three labs. So it was nine total, like, 
events, you know, every single week. Um, and I learned very quickly in that, like for me, like I got into survival mode really quickly because I ended up with like one day where it's like, I, I don't know, like nine things do the next like two days or something like that. And it was just like, you know, so, so I figured out, I was like, you know what, for me to survive, I've got to be prepared. I cannot be waiting. And so that was probably the first time that I was like, okay, I'm going to study for this class on this day, study for this class on that day, you know, and starting to put, you know, those rhythms, you know, um, into place. Um, I also worked through college. So simultaneously, like taking those same things. And then, you know, I don't know, I don't know if it was then or before or later, but I've always loved Outlook. And all of a sudden I was like, most of my rhythms are like, okay, I'm going to schedule it in Outlook, you know, mm. the first Friday of the month, you know, every Tuesday at 9 a.m., you know, whatever it might be. Um, you know, my, my, um, uh, my calendar is ex absolutely jam packed. I, I don't like to do the all day events because of how it kind of like scrunches the view. So from midnight to like 6am, I'll have all these like little 30 minute, like they're not really meetings. So they're, you know, but I'll put like, there'll be all these like recurring rhythms that like, if you look on my calendar and you look in that top part, there's like all these things that are all these different rhythms that just, and then when I start the day, it reminds me, oh, Hey, it's so-and-so's birthday or you know, hey, you need to, you know, uh, get this done by the end of the day. Um, whatever it might be that I just throw all those different rhythms up there that I that I want to get accomplished. Um, and uh, and then that gives me the reminder to do it. So so those rhythms are kind of reminders on a day on a, a specific day. It's not actually time bound. It's not two o'clock on Friday afternoon on the 7th of July. So it depends. Um, so there's some rhythms like, you know, in the company, we have specific meetings. So those will be, you know, like I'm one-to-one -one with like all my direct reports, you know. So those will be, hey, you know, on on Monday at, you know, 9 a.m. every week we're going we're gonna to meet un unless, of course, somebody needs to cancel, you know, or reschedule or whatever. Um, so there, there's plenty of them that are time bound. Then there's others that might you know, take somebody's birthday, right? This would be their birthday. Like that's not, and that just means at some point I want to send them a text or a message or, you know, mm -hmm. write them a note or something, right. You know, that I need to do. Um, and uh, so some of them are more like simple action items of things. A lot of times those action items will key me to then schedule it on the calendar. So it's like, oh, okay. So I need that. Like all my direct reports, I try to take all of them to lunch for their birthday, you know, every year. And so like, I'll have it on my calendar, shoot the reminder, then I'll look at both of our cal calendars and schedule it, you know, at that point. So, you know, sometimes it's just a to-do, sometimes it's hard-coded. You know, every Friday I have a, you know, a four-hour block um, that, you know, I'll have for strategic time. Um, and so, you know, like that's that's all, you know, that's something that's kind of like semi-hard-coded on the calendar um, in terms of what I'm trying to do. So some of them are more blocks and some of them are just kind of reminders. I love it. And we could geek out about time blocking because <laughs> I've got a passion. I haven't figured it out quite yet, but I'm getting better. You know, one of the things on my to-do list, um, is I do the to-do list is the next action that's needed. It's not the end result. And I find when I put the end result on the to-do list, you don't actually get to the next action item. But anyways, getting back to endurance um, and athletics, you mentioned discovering that leveraging this, the bike part of your Ironman preparation produce the biggest yield from a wattage perspective, et cetera. Talk to us about that discovery. Like when and how did you come up with that? Obviously it's the biggest part, the longest part of the race, usually the most time bound unless it's, it, it's you, <laughs> but talk to talk to us about like, how did, when did that light bulb come on and, and how do you actually leverage that over the other two disciplines? 
You know, um, I think it was, I guess it was just obvious to me because it's the only one of the three that you're using a machine, right? I mean, swimming is, there's nothing, right? It's just, it's just you and the water. You could argue, I guess, that your running shoes, you know, they got maybe a little spring or something like that, you know, to it, but not much of a machine, um, you know, there. But I mean, you know, um, I, I think what I probably, I maybe what dawned on me was just like looking at, you know, uh, I can easily bike a mile faster than the fastest man can run a mile. And I'm not even like breaking a sweat, right? Because it's not like I'm a great biker, right? I mean, like most any decent biker can do that because the biker just applies that much more leverage. And so mm. anytime you've got a machine that you can leverage, then it's like, okay, if I can figure out how to use that machine better, I can yield a higher output. And there's just, you know, there is some things, I mean, you know, when you're swimming, yeah, can you like, you know, you, your, your hands are kind of machines in a bit and like, yeah, I had a coach to teach me how to do my hands and those kinds of things. And the same with running and the strides and, you know, how you, how you land and, you know, all those different things, you know, there, there is elements of that, but, you know, um, you know, if you think about like technology or leverage in the simplest, like the simplest form is like a lever bar, right? Like if you're trying to like open a paint can, like you get it, you know, I, what was it? Uh, I think my dad told me when I was a kid, he's like, um, there's nothing like so tight or so hard that I think it's actually come from like Einstein or something. It's like no object is so big that it cannot be moved with a long enough stick or something along those lines, right? Like if you yeah. have a long enough stick, like you can at some point with a small amount of pressure, be able to lever any, the, the movement of anything. Right. Um, and so when you've got a machine like a bike that, I mean, literally the, 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 the pedals are on these levers, right. That you are pushing um and and leverage. so i think it was just kind of a little bit you know obvious and then you bend that with the fact that it happens to be the one that i love doing the most um it just kind of you know you can it's more fun because you can go faster you know you can mm -hmm. see a lot more you know versus like i mean swimming i mean especially like when i swim in the ocean it, those times you feel like you're sitting still you know it's like you're going against the wind or the current you know it's just you know um so it uh yeah. So, so a little bit of like practicalness and then, um, and I guess the third piece of it too is the stats. So you don't like, you can't really get good stats on swimming. Um, uh, running some, but I mean, with biking, I mean, you got your heart rate, you got your RPMs, you've got your wattage and you've got your live speed and it's all sitting right there in front of you. And so even like your ability to, and you can get some of that. I mean, you get heart rate with running and you can get speed with running. You know, you can kind of get a little bit of your, um, your gait or whatever. Um, but I don't know, just more stats in the biking too, to just be able to tweak. Um, you know, so I, and I also figured out like that the more constant I could hold my wattage, the farther my energy would take me, right? If I'm spiking my wattage, then it's, I'm not going to perform as well as like, I mean, the most ideal scenario, you almost have completely flat wattage for, you know, the entire, um, entire course. Um, so, uh, which is, is also the only time I think my, my time on the bike was like six hours and six hours and five minutes or something. Um, never got off the bike, never stopped, mm. never stopped moving from when it started rolling all I never, you know, and the cool thing about the Ironman that, 
honestly, I don't even, I've never done another race where people are running out and handing you water bottles and bananas and, you know, so, you know, you didn't even have, like most of the other races I've done, you got to like pull over and, you know, grab your stuff real quick and hop back on the bike. So that was a pretty cool experience to literally never stop moving on the bike for six hours and 112 miles. Yeah. Cause to your point, you don't train that way because you've got stoplights, stop signs, people on the trail, you know, yeah. you need to refill your water bottles. And you can't um, go that far without refilling your water bottle. I mean, you know, for me, like, you know, probably max 25 miles, you know, you got to refill yeah. your water bottle. So, um, so yeah, the only time I've been able to go anything close to that, um, you know, which was, which was pretty cool. I, I love it. I, I love that. Um, and a special shout out to the volunteers. You know, you mentioned those, the aid stations and how they're there handing out water bottles and Gatorades and goos and you name it. And if yeah. it wasn't for them, we wouldn't be able to achieve, you know, these yeah. 14, 15, 16 hour days. Uh, and especially the young teenage guys that will run up alongside you and match your speed to hand you like those guys. I was like, those, they were like, y'all are so awesome. You know, you don't even have to slow down. Yeah. Unlike the ones that just stand still and you're coming in at them at like 15 miles an hour and you're, you're trying to get, Anyway, we, there's lots of stories of water bottles in front of front tires and then carnage. Uh, Will, shifting gears again, uh, you mentioned financial education with your kids and some of these rhythms and tools you're using. I'd love to learn from you what types of things you do with your kids around finances. Yeah, so a lot of what I do with my finances, I, 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 I put on, I put on my, my CEO hat when I'm looking at finances with my kids. And so I really, like, I kind of asked myself, like, what do I value in employees? Like, what makes a good employee? Um, and so a lot of what I back into is, like, looking at that. So some of the things that I come to is, like, somebody that takes self-initiative, um, somebody who has strong work ethic, um, you know, also somebody who is kind and generous with other people, right? They don't always take all the credit for themselves. Like, these are, these are some of the attributes um, that I'm looking for, you know, what makes, you know, a, a really productive, you know, team members. Um, and so I kind of approach some of it, some of it from that perspective. So kind of as it starts at the basis with work, because if you don't, you know, if you don't work, like it doesn't matter how, how leveraged you, how smart you are, if you don't have a work input, I actually use the analogy of a car uh, in our company. And I start with the engine. Um, cause I'm like, look, if, if you don't have that work ethic and own it, like it doesn't matter how great of a transmission you have, that's going to, you know, be the work smart element. Like you're not going to go that far if the engine's not turning. So you've got to have that strong, you know, work ethic. Um, and so like for our kids, like, you know, we have a, a chore chart and all the different chores, like they get basically a little star, like we call them bonuses. Um, and there's $1 for bonus that they get. And so anytime that they, you know, do the chores, then they get a bonus on there. Um, and, and then like taking it to the next level, then I'm like, okay, well, I want to, I want to promote initiative. So if you do your chore without being asked, then you get a double bonus because, and that's true in real life, right? Like. People who have initiative get paid twice as much as the people who have to wait for somebody to tell them what to do. So I incorporate that, you know, into, uh, into the process. Um, as they start to get older, like, and they start doing it, like it's their responsibility to put it on the chore chart. Cause it's great that like, you know, in our business, we can solve a problem for a customer. If we don't document it and send an invoice to that customer, they don't just voluntarily write us a check. Right. Um, <laughs> You know, we have to actually document and uh, and and invoice them, and you know, sometimes even collect from them. Um, and so, you know, hey, they they now get the responsibility of recording the value, you know, of uh, of what they're doing. 
Um, so then, you know, um, we'll, we call it chore payout, uh, which uh, is supposed to happen every Sunday, but you know, some of the rhythms don't happen every time. Um, there's some real life that happens. Um, so then, um, when it uh, when it gets when it gets paid out, then there's four different jars that they have. Um, and so um, the first jar is the spending jar, you know, money that they set aside, spent. And I love having it on the front side where they're now I'm teaching them planning, right? So instead of just like putting all their money in one bucket, it's like, hey, let's think through how we want to divide this money up. Um, and and make that decision now and then kind of segregate it and then leave those those you know segregations in place. Uh, so it's teaching them some of that discipline. So then they they, they can put in spending. Um, they can put it in uh, in savings. If they put it in savings, then I will double it. So every dollar, so they basically every $50 they save, I give them a $100 bill. Um, now, when that, when they get to $1,500, then we go and put it, we, I take them to the bank, they open a bank account, um, and then I move the money from their bank account into a, a green light. I love green light because it lets them mm -hmm. um, invest, you know, into the stock market. So then I stop doubling it. They start to choose stocks that they want to buy. And then, you know, about every month or so, I'll sit down, hey, here's how your stock's doing. Here's the decisions we've made. Um, and one thing that's really important, like it kind of, kind of my wife is is on board with it, but it's, she, uh, this is the part she struggled. I let them make all of the decisions. And she's like, that's a really bad decision. I'm like, I know it's a bad decision, but it's a lot cheaper for them to learn it at this age than it is at another age. If they burn, you know, my, my, my daughter on out of her spinning jar, like bought this stupidest little puppy attached to this like piece of cardboard thing that you'd ever seen in your life. And it was like $20. My wife was like, why are you letting her buy that? I was like, because it's, it's the cheapest lesson I could ever teach her to not buy dumb crap, you know? And in fact, three days later, she was like, I shouldn't have bought that. Like, I don't even want this thing anymore. And I was like, yes, like, yes, we now, now she won't buy that, you know, whatever, you know, fur coat or something like that one day you know, on a whim, because she'll, you know, hopefully learn that lesson. Um, so the savings, you know, doubled, and then we moved to the kind of the stock market at some point. Um, I haven't figured out one for giving yet. We have a giving jar. That's the third jar. And I haven't figured out, because I'm not wanting to, like, overly incentivize, you know, on that. So we really just, I just try to encourage them to put into giving. And then from that, you know, we give to our church. Uh, from that, we give to people in need. A lot of times, especially, you know, the holiday season, you know, we'll uh, put all that money towards, you know, uh, usually we like sponsor some children for, you know, different things. And um, and then they'll also use it for like birthdays and other times that, you know, um, and there's something really valuable that we've seen, like when they buy gifts for each other and buy gifts for us that like really instills like, you know, a lot more, uh, a lot more care and ownership of that versus like, oh, dad just bought a gift for you to give to mom. That doesn't have the same sort of meaning to it. Um, and so we've had a lot, a lot of joy with that. And then the fourth one is the debt jar. Um, and I, what I teach them about the debt jar is, well, we don't use the debt jar. Um, and yes, I know at some point later, I'll teach them about good debt and house debt and, you know, business debt and all those things, um, which of course I have. Um, but, you know, really at the early age is trying to basically kind of teach against, you know, credit card debt, if you will. Um, and also, I mean, using credit cards is fine. You can get double points and all those kind of fun things. But you, know, you start financing your life, you know, you're going to be in trouble. So at the early age, um, I, if a kid does need to use the debt jar, which has happened a couple of times, then I charge them double in interest. So my daughter, you know, needed something, she needed 10 bucks. So she had to pay me $20 back. Um, so it's the, you know, just like the savings doubling is unrealistic in the real world, but it's heightening the, the impacts, uh, 
the interest on the debt is uh, is equally strong. So it's fair on both sides. Um, so great, yeah, so that's kind of the whole great. system there. That's a great lesson. Um, and I wish when I was a kid, I had the debt jar lesson because those years in college with the every other week when the credit card would show up in the mail, it's like, sure, why not? Let's go out, let's have, have some more fun. Um, you know, we do a similar chore chart and have payouts. I haven't thought through, and I really love your idea around the jars. You know, it's very much a Mike Michalowicz profit first sort of mentality for us as business owners, where we're putting a little bit of money in the profit account and then the owner's comp and then the tax and so on. So um, applying that to it, my kids, I got to figure out a way, or maybe I'll just, you know, rip off and duplicate your idea. Um that's awesome. So, we'll talk to tell us tell us about you. You know your childhood. How did you got into what you're doing? A little bit about your business. Um, give us the will story. Yeah. So, uh, so I'm one of five kids. I'm the second, um, and uh, I don't really have a ton of memory of this. But the way that my parents, you know, tell the story is basically I was such a bad child that my mom and and my mom having as many kids as she did, she basically called my dad one day and said, "Come get your son. I can't handle him anymore." Um, and so, uh, he did, um, which ended up being like one of the greatest blessings in my life because then my father started to take me to work with him. He, he you know, owned a technology business. Um, and so, uh, even as early as the age of five, like I'd go to the office, sweep the warehouse floor, organize those old paper tickets when we used to have them later got, you know, older, you know, pulling cable and, you know, um, uh, programming things and, you know. Yeah, I pretty much did almost every position in the company, uh, you know, over the years. Um, and, you know, got into high school, started working full time in the summers, you know, um, all those uh, all those those different things. Um, my dad would uh, and actually he did this with with and, and, uh, with all of, all of the kids that got to work in the business. Uh, and then he would take us to conferences. So I was like when I was like 12 years old, Greg, I'm going to these IT conferences, you know, uh, in Phoenix or Orlando or, you know, wherever. Um, I still have a decent number of peers and friends today um, that, uh, you know, are 20 years older than me, but that I've got to know from, you know, some of these different conferences and things. So um, it's kind of kind of cool uh, to, 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 to still see, you know, see some of the benefit, you know, of that. So, um, but interesting thing was, as I was going through all that, I, I never like, you know, um, never growing up was like thinking that, hey, I wanted to like take over my father's business or anything. Um, probably when I was in kindergarten, I probably said something along those lines, but, you know, I was getting older, you know, it was just kind of like, you know, I knew I wanted to go into business. I had, I had kind of a love for the law. So I was kind of flirting with going to law school and then later decided that that was not quite what I wanted to do. Um, and, um, but never really, uh, quite, you know, um, and, and I never had on my goal to like take over the business. Um, so I kind of want to go to law school, got some advice, decided not to do that. So I was kind of trying to do, figure out what to do as I was graduating. And so my dad was like, well, here, I got some projects. Come work for me. You know, as soon as you figure out where you're going to go, you know, just, you know, hand off your projects and, you know, um, but in the meantime, at least earn some money and, you know, help, help me out. So I started doing that. And, um, you know, basically seven years later, took over one of the company. Uh, it's kind of this, <laughs> just enjoyed doing it and just got deeper and deeper and deeper into it. And um, and so, you know, taking taking uh, taking over running the company. That was about 2014, 15. And uh, then officially became the CEO in 2019. Um, and that's where we went down these um, crazy paths over the last four years where we've done 18 acquisitions, um, 7x the size of the business. 
Um, and, uh, and now trying to get all those acquisitions all integrated into, you know, uh, one whole company. So tell us to, what your company does. Yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, we are an IT solution company. Um, and so we do everything from your traditional managed IT. Some people, you know, call it MSP, um, that, uh, you know, that everything from the desktop and the servers and network and, you know, all those pieces. Uh, we do the voice and internet. So, you know, traditional voice solutions, uh, all the new hosted, you know, uh, voice solutions. And uh, some people call it UCAS, all the contact center stuff. You know, we do that. Uh, bringing all of the internet, you know, um, to the primary, the, the, the broadbands, the failovers, all those pieces. Um, we do all the cloud uh, components, all the public cloud, uh, private cloud. You know, we can host it all, uh, make it simple. Uh, and then under the security section, we've got both cyber security uh, as well as physical security. And so, you know, we can really wrap our arms around the business. We love to kind of be that outsourced IT department, uh, especially in the SMB space. And hey, look, we can we can do all of this technology stuff for you, make it simple. Um, and then a lot of our larger, you know, like mid, you know, um, mid enterprise level customers may only use us for, you know, a particular um, discipline inside of the, the technology area that they need to supplement. Um, so yeah, that's what we do. Fantastic. Um, curious what your impressions are on the, all the hype around AI. And where do you think that's going? You know, I had these debates back and forth in my head of like, is it really AI or is it just, you know, like a souped up algorithm, you know, that's, that's, so I, I'm not sure that I'm, um, I completely, you know, I, I don't know if it's, I don't know if there really is AI that exists or not in, in, in truly in terms of like intelligence, right? Um, I don't think any of it's really truly thinking like how you and I think. Um, but that being said, I mean, I don't really see it as 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 that much different than anything else that has happened in the last you know 500 years. Um, I had a friend of mine the other day, and I thought he had a really good analogy. He said AI will do to modern processes what electricity did to manual processes. So back in the day, you know, electricity came along; it didn't like revolutionize manufacturing per se other than it added electricity to where now instead of having a horse having to clamp the hammer thing down, now you add electricity, you know, that, that, that could do it. So it just added a lot more power to existing processes that you have. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think, I think that's a, I think it's a decent analogy to see, you know, um, what AI will do. I also had another friend that said that I thought this was a, a, kind of a funny way of saying it. He said, you won't be replaced by AI. But someone who knows how to use AI will replace you. Um, and I thought that that was kind of, you know, and, and you're seeing a lot of that where people, you know, I, I, at the end of the day, I don't think that AI, we're, I don't even think we're close to it really having that true thinking ability. But what it does do is it shortens the, the path for somebody. It gives recommendations. You can say, hey, write me, a, you know, a blog post or whatever. And it writes you something like it still needs a professional with experience to go through and actually make sure it's right and add in the right pieces to it and redo it. But anybody who's ever written something, you know, it's a lot easier to have somebody give you some sort of draft to tweak and change than it is to start from a complete blank page, you know? Um, and so using AI to, um, you know, we, we were having conversations about some of it this morning where it's like, you know, if there's five things that we need to do for a customer in a particular trouble ticket, well, how could we use AI to maybe do the first three automatically for us? And so then now you're, you know, imagine going back to sports. I mean, imagine if you could start the race a mile ahead, you know, 
Um, you still got to run it. You still got to be in shape. You still like, you'd still have to be athletic, but if you, if, you know, or if I'm biking and I've got, if, if AI is a bike and you're running, I don't care how fast of a runner you are, like I'm going to beat you every time. And I can mm -hmm. be an average biker and still beat you. And you can be the fastest man in the world, you know? Um, so I think it's, you know, um, Anyway, I don't know if I answered your question, but there's all my no, thoughts. No, it totally, it completely did. Um, and it goes back to the point you're making earlier around leverage, right? It's it's a tool that we can use to leverage our business, our personal life. Um, and the more that we understand it, makes us more competitive compared to those that don't understand it or use it. Yeah. Uh, Will, I do have to go back and ask you another question. You're, you're sharing your story about how you took over the business from your father. Um, how are your leadership styles different or are they the very, same? Very. <laughs> yeah. And actually I, that's a great question, Greg, because it was a, it was a, a, a big lesson um, that I had to learn and he had to learn in the process. Um, you know, for a long time, I tried to be a leader like how he was a leader because he was a great leader. Um, but we don't have the same personality. We don't have the strength, the same strengths and the same skill sets. Um, as each other. It's actually, if we had, we probably wouldn't have worked as well together um, because um, if you're the exact same, like, you know, that's not as complimentary, you know, as when you have differences. Um, and so, you know, I had to learn how to take the principles of what he did from a leadership perspective, but apply them in my own way. So like one of the things, like I suck at remembering names. I suck at remembering specific details about people. Um, I think as a leader, it's important to have that personal connection with people. So I supplement it by using my organizational skills. So like all of the employees, I have a file on every single employee. And as I learn things about employees, I put it in their file. You know, and then if I know if I'm going to go into an office, I'm going to see employees, like I'll go review that stuff. So now I can remember. So I'm like, I know my memory is not great. And like other leaders, like I've met people, they can remember anybody's name like that they've met in their whole life. I don't know how they do it. It's an amazing skill set that they have. God didn't bless me with that skill set. Um, but like, hey, I can be organized and I can keep up and I can still have that same care from a leadership perspective, even though I'm leveraging a different skill um, to be able to, you know, to accomplish that. So, you know, I had to learn like, okay, how can I do some of the, because you know, I'm very like, my father's extremely charismatic, um, off the cuff. Like he, he literally grew up as a, as a cowboy on the farm. Um, and so just, you know, you know, just make it happen, grab whatever you can. Whereas for me, I'm very process oriented. You probably heard that very process oriented. Like, how do we make this repeatable, you know, more efficient? Um, and so like I had to lean into my strengths um, and then also have other people get other people around me from a leadership perspective that has strengths where I may have some weaknesses that make sure as a whole leadership team, you know, we've got what, what the team needs. Thank you for sharing that. Um, there's a short period of my life that I was hoping to take over my father's business. Uh, he was a civil engineer. And when I got into college, it was the physics classes and the calculus classes at 730 in the morning while not living at home, while you know learning how to be a college student. And all that didn't add up, um, but I did find finance. And then when I fell in love with that, it was it was all over. But I'm always curious when you, when you see business owners that are in family businesses or have passed down or taken over, like how that dynamic works, because it's hard as a parent, right? Like at some point in time, you go from being a parent to a friend, to an advisor, to it's just a different relationship. 
Yeah, we bought, uh, you know, the 18 acquisitions, a decent number of them have been from family types of businesses, you know, and um, not everybody has, you know, a uh, a kid that wants to do that, right? Um, or is in the right line of, you know, has a passion for the line of business. I mean, you probably could have taken over, if your dad had a finance business, you probably could have taken it over, you know, but he was civil engineer, which was not, you know, uh, your bent. So, you know, um, I do think that, uh, you know, uh, sometimes it sometimes it works out well and sometimes, you know, it doesn't. So kind of holding that loosely is probably, you know, um, a good idea. Um, you know, one other thing that you said earlier that I wanted to, to jump back into if we could, because I think it's a really important point, um, is talking about, you know, the tools and how, how you know, something like AI is a powerful tool. Um, and and I, I, I do think that there's, there's a whole I, I, other piece, you know, you, you hear like this old adage of, you know, power corrupts, you know, and great power corrupts, you know, greatly or, or however it goes. Um, and I think that in our modern day, we are seeing more and more power. We're seeing power in AI. We're seeing power in social influence. We're seeing, you know, power in terms of media um, and just all the different things that we can see. So I, I do think that they're you know, part of your podcast, you know, the endurance uh, element, you know, part of that ultimately is discipline. Um, and one of the things that I see that we are like, it's, if you go back 200 years ago, like everybody had discipline because if you didn't have discipline, like you would literally die, right? Like if you don't get up and like, you know, work, like you're not going to have food, right? Uh, unless you were just very, very elite, you know, class or something, but you know, 98% of the world, like, you know, you had to have work ethic. Otherwise, like you literally would not survive. Whereas today, there's not as much of that pressure there. Um, and, and so I think that we have to be more intentional to create discipline in our lives um, and have to be disciplined. We got to be disciplined with our phones. We got to be disciplined, um, you know, with our time. We got to be, you know, be disciplined with our thoughts. I mean, like we didn't talk about time blocking, like free internet and free cell phone. I don't think people had issues with time blocking, right? Like it didn't exist. Like, you know, you know, the only time you saw somebody was like, you know, you prearranged the meeting, right? And you're traveling, you know, uh, uh, to, to see them. So I think there's some, there's some struggles we have in the modern. It's cool with all the tools, and it's cool that I can email somebody and text somebody, and you and I can video call each other, you know, uh, without having to to leave where we are. Um, but then also, there's a lot of interruptions that come from that, and a lot of it steals our focus, um, and it's easy to get distracted. And so, you know, um, I'm seeing that as the world is changing, there's there's success, and I think tying into the again the athletics piece where being able to have that discipline and and realizing you know how easy and susceptible we are because of the power of technology you know we really have to be focused in on that otherwise you know um you can get you know sucked into all sorts of things so you know on the whole kids thing like you know me and my wife had a lot of conversations about when do they get cell phones and social media and all that kind of stuff i mean there's some really big dangers out there on the other side um not because the technology is inherently bad, but because of how powerful it is. You know, you're not going to give a kid, you know, a loaded weapon, right? You know, you need to need to make sure that they know how to use it. And I think a lot of the technology, something like AI is like that. It can be used for good when people know how to use it. And it also can very easily be used for bad um, if if we're not diligent. So, you know, well, that's, that's 
Very well said. Um, and one of the things, one of my added benefits of my endurance training is that separation away from email and the phone. Like when you're on that long bike ride or you're in that run, you know, we generally have our phones with us because of safety and and we track data and those types of things. But most likely there's a long period of time where it's just you in your head thinking about what am I going to do for this next 15 minutes? When am I going to hit my nutrition? When am I going to hit this? Um, so it kind of brings us back full circle to the yeah. opening question of like some of these added benefits. Will, for our audience, how can they get in touch with you if they want to reach out and connect? Yeah, I mean, find me on LinkedIn, Will Slappy. I think it's like LinkedIn slash Will Slappy or something simple like that. Um, I can shoot it to you. You can like put it on the notes. That's the, that's the easiest way. I, I post pretty much every day um, and you'll get, you know, a lot of what you heard here today, the whole gamut. Sometimes I get into specifics on business. I post about some of the stuff I do from a parenting perspective. Um, and then just general leadership stuff. So, um, and if somebody has a question for me, DM me in direct message there on LinkedIn. Um, and I uh, always love to engage with people. Fantastic. And we will certainly have those links in our show notes. Well, it's been great having you on the show. I mean, time is blown by. Um, I love how we let off and we talked about how you could out prepare yourself to out prepare your competition. And, and it was really about the preparation and less about the day of the competition. Um, I took a ton of notes around your financial rhythms with your kids and how you use the jar technique in order for them to learn financial disciplines. Um, and really the overall conversation around rhythms and, and routine and, and, and how we just finished it off talking about tools and AI. We really covered a huge gamut of content. And we, I asked the audience, if you've got something positive out of this experience, we please subscribe to the channel, please share it with your friends. You know, the insights that Will has provided us today truly are insights that we can use in many different aspects of our lives. Um, so with that, Will, again, thank you for your time. It was awesome having you on the show. Yeah. Hey, you know, Greg, I'll, I'll share one last story to close this out here. Please. Because um, uh, I got asked this question a lot. Um, so, you know, um, the, the, the people will say, when you did the Ironman, was it the hardest thing you've ever done or the hardest day of your life or you know something along those lines no not even close the hardest day was three months earlier at 4 a.m in the morning when it was completely dark and i was by myself on the bike turns out i had covid didn't know it yet um and but i did a 60 mile bike you know and that's that's what people a lot of times miss right they miss mm. like those are the hard days when you have the discipline and you you get up and you do what needs to be done to in order to get to where you want to go. The day of the race is never the hardest day. Um, it's always those prep days. No one's there clapping. No one's snapping pictures. You know, there's no fanfare. It's just you and the bike um, or you and the book, you, you know, and whatever it is that you're focusing on. That's where you win. Um, and so many people miss that. They, they see the company that breaks through um, and they're like, oh, wow, they got lucky. No, they didn't get lucky. They worked their asses off for 10 years. And, you know, they put a lot on the line. And then at some point we find out about them when they break through. And I think so many people miss that 4 a.m. in the dark uh, by yourselves, realizing that, like, that's when I became an Iron Man. Well, I couldn't have said it any better. Thank you for sharing that story. And you're absolutely right. Thanks for having me, Greg. See you, man. It was, it was my pleasure. Thank you. 
Thank you for tuning in to the Chief Endurance Officer Podcast. To hear more inspiring stories and strategies around the endurance mindset, be sure to subscribe below or visit us at chiefenduranceofficer.com. Until next time, keep pushing those limits 